Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Okay, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. I'm so psyched to be here, and I am really psyched that I got to talk to the amazing blues artist J.D. Simo. If you're here at Roadcase for the first time to listen to my interview with J.D., welcome to the Roadcase community. I'm really psyched to have you. And if you are a returning listener to Roadcase, I'm so psyched to have you back, and thank you so much for your support. As I like to do um, frequently, I want to remind everybody that there's a number of different ways that you can support and help Roadcase keep chugging along. One of this is super easy. Just follow us on the socials, on uh, particular Instagram. Really helps the show to develop a base of followers, and I really appreciate those that have done so so far. And you'll find out information about shows that are coming up, etc. cetera. Uh, our handle is at RoadcasePod on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, if you'd like to shoot me an email, that's a great way to stay in touch. Uh, the show's email is info at roadcasepod.com. You can send me suggestions for guests, comments, questions, concerns. I'd love to hear from you. I promise I'll get back to you. We also have a website where you can learn more about the show, www.roadcasepod.com. Uh, really easy way to uh, to get in touch with the show that way. And also, uh, if you could subscribe to this podcast on your favorite list, platform. That's another easy way to support Roadcase. So if you're on Apple uh, Podcast, you just see that little check mark in the upper right-hand corner. You click that. If you're on Spotify, for example, that little box that says follow, click that there. And do in both ways, you will get notifications when the latest episodes come up. And on Apple Podcast, uh, if you could rate and review this podcast, I'd really appreciate that. It's a great way to support Roadcase. There's scroll down a little bit. There's a bunch of stars. Just hit a whole bunch of those and write a review if you're so inclined. It's a really great way to help Roadcase, and I really appreciate your support. So I'm really happy to have had the opportunity to chat with J.D. Simo. He is an amazing blues artist who starts super young in his interest in music and getting involved in music. He grew up in Chicago, uh, hitting the library in Lincoln Park, where he says they had every album imaginable. He is an amazing and early student of the blues, and he was in the right place to do it in the heart of Chicago. Uh, he's really a blues academic, if you will. Um, got started super early in music. And he, it's, it's what he knew he wanted to do. Uh, his parents were taking him to clubs as a nine-year-old to play, if you can believe that. Um, he is extremely thoughtful about his craft. It's a really interesting conversation in that regard. I most recently saw him play with the Almond Family Revival at Chicago Theater. He's a huge fan of the Almond Brothers. I saw him play at that show. I'm like, I need to get this guy on Roadcase. Uh, he's an amazing sessions musician. We'll talk about uh, his work with various other artists and what kind of the ins and outs are of being a session musician. He's also played on a movie soundtrack, the Boz Lerman biopic on Elvis, and uh, which was super interesting because he grew up sort of worshiping Elvis. He's got a recent album, Mind Control, that came out in late 2021. Just an amazing blues album. I highly suggest that you go and check that out 
out. He's also played with Phil Lesh and Friends, which is really near and dear to my heart as a fan of Grateful Dead. So one one brief technical note is that at the beginning, there's a couple issues with Wi-Fi and JD was kind of walking around a couple times in his uh, uh, the place where he was staying in Florida, just trying to figure out a good place to sit. We just kind of continued the interview. It's a little wonky at times from a tech perspective, but that clears up after about 10 minutes. In any event, I want to thank everyone for being here, and I'd like to send a special thank you to J.D. Simo for being here on this episode of Roadcase, and here we go. Hey, J.D., good to see you, man. Thanks for, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so good to see you, and uh, you're quite welcome. I'm really happy to have you. And as I mentioned when we were just talking before we uh, came on the mics officially, um, that I saw you play at the Almond Family Revival, and I'm like, oh man, I gotta. This guy is someone I w- I'd like to talk to and have on the show. So that's how those things work. And uh, you fucking tore it up at that show, man. That was amazing. What was uh? How'd you get connected with those guys, and and uh, how that how that all go down? Well, well, thank you. That's very kind of you. I, uh, we met because we have the same agent. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, we started meeting like, sorry, you meaning you and Devin, you mean, uh, well, me and the, the, the almond bets band, um, uh-huh. we have, um, the same booking agent and we did, I mean, I don't even know. We probably did a hundred shows together. Mm. Um, uh, leading right up until the pandemic, we we were on tour together until February through the end of February 2020. Oh wow! Cool. Um, and wrapped up um, right before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And um, and so you know, we we all know each other really really well man you know because that's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of shows to do and um and so they've they've been they've been really cool you know to include me on lots of um uh extracurricular activities yeah um i play in in phil lesh's band with uh with luther and cody dickinson mm-hmm. uh sometimes and um uh lots of other people like Eric Gales. I just, I played on his new record. Um, and, uh, Robert Randolph and I have done stuff together. So, I mean, it's like, there's a lot of, um, Joanne Shaw Taylor and, and, and I have, have done tours together. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of similar, you know, yeah, tons of um, overlap and tons of collabs there. I can't even keep track of how many people you've collaborated with. I mean, um, it's a lot, man. Yeah, so you knew each yeah. other really well. That explains some of the amazing playing that occurred. I think uh, to a certain extent during that during that show, the one show that I saw in Chicago that was actually their last, the last show of that the Family Revival tour because it got you know canceled because of yeah. various COVID cases that were that's sort of right at the the tail end of or the beginning of that new uh of the new spike so yeah um yeah that's 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 kind of a bummer but um had you also speaking of collaboration so 
you've played with so many different people in your own band, your solo effort, the new effort. Um, I want to talk about your new album that's out November 5th, Mind Control, or that came out on November 5th. Uh, it's called Mind Control. Uh, great album. I love it. Um, Thank you. I just love, I love the blues, the psychedelic blues space, and you kind of come in and out of that space from a tradition, from a place of appreciation of traditional blues, as it appears, just a sort of nutshell stuff right here at the beginning. But tell me a little bit, you grew up in Chicago um, and sort of had a little bit of a, a kind of a blues education growing up. I know you, I heard you mentioned uh, chess records and, and something, uh, and that's just down the street from me. Um, I, I live in the South loop in Chicago. And, uh, so that's near and dear um, to my heart for so many different reasons, but, um, yeah, tell me a little bit what, what, uh, so growing up in Chicago and, uh, and what was up with that? Uh, well, I grew up, um, in um on the north side and um on the corner of armitage and halstead oh okay <laughs> yeah and <laughs> right uh, there near oz park yeah exactly yeah. and um um there's a really awesome uh there's a really awesome public library there in lincoln park um that i frequented a lot when i was younger what out what all happened is i saw elvis on television when i was uh like three or four years old uh -huh. and I was really enamored. I became really enamored with Scotty Moore and um, uh, just sort of like any other obsession that sort of balloons out um, going both to the Lincoln park library, which had every record that had ever come out ever. Um, mm. And also like videos of um, like the Sullivan show archives and um uh, other like music documentaries and stuff like that. Like, I mean, right. just had anything and everything that you could ever hope to, you know, access. Yeah. And then um, that coupled with also listening to the radio, like listening to XRT, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, sort of, you know, I was, I, I was born in 85. So, you know, when I was first getting a guitar in like 89, you know, it's kind of like from then until I was, you know, 10 or 11 years old, you know, that's like the heyday of XRT. So it's like listening to, um, you know, what was current at the time, which, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers and, and Nirvana and Pearl Jam and stuff like that. But then also being exposed to stuff like Tom Waits and Bob Dylan and, and all the great stuff that XRT you know, Elvis Costello, all that, you know, that, that was one of the beauties of growing up in Chicago yeah. is being accessed to all that. The blue, the blues stuff sort of came later. Um, I was exposed to it and I was, I was into it, but you know, I had to kind of grow up and become an adult to fully um, fall in love with it, you know, mm. because like if knowing what I know now, like I wish like I had been ready to sort of understand how hip, like Earl Hooker or Magic Sam or something were, mm. but you know, I was, a, I was a kid. So it was like, you know, Hendrix and all that kind of stuff was, was more um, palatable to a, to a teenager. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, it feels more, so, it feels more accessible, I think. Yeah. And it's, you know, and so, but, but that being said, like, you know, now as an adult, it's like, you know, in particular, Earl Hooker is a, is a really, really huge influence. And, 
you know, I, I loved all of it though, because I mean, yeah, there, the, the story I have about chess is, you know, um, figuring out where it was on Michigan Avenue and then going down there when I was a little boy and it was a boarded up building then, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, um, you know, now being able to go in and see it and stone is really, is really groovy. But, you know, of course, like, you know, when I finally did start to get exposed to it, trying to go and find where everything was that was left, that's the beauty of the city of Chicago is that, you know, there's a lot of the structures are left. A lot are gone, unfortunately, like Maxwell street doesn't even exist anymore. Um, right, right. But, uh, um, which incidentally, you know, my father used to take me down, to Maxwell street, uh, in the summertime, we'd go down there on the weekend to the flea market, you know? And so, you know, seeing like the blues brothers movie or something, it's like, it's, it's very, uh, nostalgic because, mm. you know, that's what, it, that's what it looked like, you know, and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. to go get a pull of sausage, uh, from gyms and, uh, right. um, or eat at, um, and, what's the Manny's cafeteria that's right near Maxwell yeah. street. That's yeah, still, that's absolutely. still there though. I'm happy to report. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Jim's and Jim's moved, uh, what closer to the highway, you know, it was, it once was on the corner of, uh, of, uh, Maxwell right. and, and Halstead. But, well, on, on that note, I talked to Chris Voss of the record company here. Uh, um, and, uh, that was one of the last episodes of the last season, uh, published last month in December. And he played at the Metro. I think it was late November. I'm probably massacring that day, but anyway, it's the concept. He talked about, uh, that day he was on XRT, which was a dream for him to be in the studio plan because he'd grown up in Milwaukee, listening to XRT. And then that day, the Muddy Waters house had been declared, and I haven't confirmed this officially, like going and checking it out. Maybe I should have now that I'm talking about it, I will. But uh, the Muddy Waters house, I think, was declared a uh, a landmark building or something like that. And they were doing some type yeah. of tradition on that day that he performed at the Metro when he was stoked about. So yeah, there's so many different kinds of blues landmarks here, but things do change, right? I'm glad that that chess like, came back around and I don't know who's involved in that, but now that it's a museum there, it's, it's, it's a, yeah, that, well, it's, cool it's Dixon's, Dixon's family. Um, Willie Dixon's mm-hmm. family runs it. And, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, that was a big thing with Muddy House because I mean, that's 20, that's over 20 years. Trying yeah. To save it. Yeah. 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 And, um, thank God, you know, thank God, you know, and, uh, there's a couple of other places that are still left. Like, you know, most of the clubs that are really super important are gone, like Sylvia's peppers and, and, uh, but Reese's is still around, um, on Indiana and, uh, corner of Indiana and, uh, I can't remember now, but it's, it's, it was in the basement of, uh, of an apartment building and the building is still there. Oh, and really? that was, uh, hmm. I mean, everybody played there. Yeah, Wolf yeah. played there and, uh, buddy, buddy guy and junior Wells and magic Sam played there. And, um, you know, I mean, yeah. there's still a handful that are left, you know, and it's like, hopefully, hopefully people, you know, do what's necessary. You know, I know that cities like Memphis and, uh, muscle shoals and, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of cities go through this of like, what, to what extent can we, can we preserve it for the people that that care about it? You know, 
Yeah. Well, to go back to that point where you talked about you weren't able to appreciate the blues at that point. I know I, I, I read somewhere where you said that the blues, it's 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 grown folks music. And uh, there there's that line where uh, like, well, there there's a line when you cross when <clears throat> you want to see who, who led like Zeppelin would copy uh john lee hooker willie dixon muddy waters to a certain extent and yeah i kind of sort of knew that when i was growing up listening to to zeppelin you know in the late 70s but i didn't care <laughs> at the time like i wanted like zeppelin because like uh, yeah and they had the long hair and it was like you know it, there were there was a vibe there that you um uh that you um identify with as, as a, as a young person, I think at the time, um, do you struggle with any of that, um, of playing, finding that zone of playing blues, but making it your own while you're still kind, when you still want to honor the blue, their traditional, uh, blues greats, you know, 99% of whom were black artists. I don't really think about it that much. Mm -hmm. Um, because uh i'm a sort of a classic overthinker uh when it comes <laughs> yeah. to um when it comes to everything so I, I i don't really think about it that much i just aim to sort of please myself and and uh do something that i think is, is cool um i don't i mean there's a lot of of uh blues in what i do um but i wouldn't necessarily consider myself you know a blues artist mm -hmm. um, you know um which is kind of a easy way for me to get out of it you know um both because it's you know it's limiting um and because you know i mean there's a certain the way i feel about it is like if you're gonna say that you play blues then you should really play blues you know mm. Um, mm. you should dedicate yourself to it's like if somebody is a jazz musician or something, it's like, if you're going to, if you're going to do it, then do it. You know, I, I don't, what I don't really like is when people are like, Oh, you know, I play blues and it's like, there's no connection to any, uh, to any of the real stuff. You know, I listen right. to it and I go, you know, it's like, basically it's like if I listen to somebody and it's like, well, I certainly hear Led Zeppelin or I hear Jimi Hendrix or Stevie Ray Vaughan or something like that, but I don't hear anything else. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, I don't think you really play blues, you know? Um, so, you know, for me, I, I, but I like, you know, like I love Afrobeat music. I love African music. I, I really like, um, uh, like sort of avant-garde psychedelic music, like, like, uh, like Steinhausen and, and, uh, all types of kraut rock can and, and, mm. and, and Noi and, um, uh, and then sort of like, you know, new wave, uh, what I consider psychedelic music, whether it's like Sonic Youth or, or um, uh, television or something like that. Like I, 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 I like all different types of music, so I don't really discriminate. It's just that at the core of what I do is a, is a love of people like Lightning Hopkins and Earl Hooker and especially the North Mississippi stuff. You know, people like Junior Kimbrough is a, is a massive, massive, massive influence on me. Um, mm. so uh you know but i mean you know I, I i spent years of my life 
loving the Almond Brothers and loving Jimi Hendrix and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's like, it's all in there, but I don't really, yeah, yeah, I yeah. guess to, to try to try and cohesively answer your question, I don't, I don't really think about it that much, you know, mm-hmm. I just do, I just try and do something that I think is cool and, and, um, and not, uh, not try and make something specific. Yeah, totally. Just, I think it does. It, it resonates in that fashion. I just was, um, you know, just kind of reflecting on wanting to put it a little bit in context because you do talk a lot about your love of the blues growing up and, um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I I love psychedelic rock. And of course that comes from blues, but, um, and you're playing some blue, you're playing blue scales for, for the most part, I think from my own novice ear. So it's sort of the same package, but, um, yeah, I agree. There's so many different directions and mindsets that, um, uh, there's so many different, different ways to go. So, uh, one thing I picked up is that you, you grabbed a guitar when you were five years old and started playing. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's amazing. Well, I saw Elvis. It is now that I think about it, but like at the time it wasn't that like, you know, I was, I saw Elvis on television and I was yeah. like, just really ate up with it. And, um, and I saw the blues brothers movie around the same time. And mm-hmm. I thought Steve Cropper was like the coolest thing ever, which is mm-hmm. ironic because he's my he's my neighbor now. I dr- when I dr- when I'm home and I drive my three year old daughter to Montessori school, I pass Steve's house every day in Nashville, um, which is yeah, which is really funny. <laughs> yeah, that's um, real. That's that's mind boggling. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty funny, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, cause he literally, I try anytime I'm around him, I try and like be cool. You know, it's like, you're the reason I started playing guitar. Cause he is, you know? Yeah. Um, what was it that resonated but, with you about, about his style? Well, I think, I don't, I mean, it's hard to tell now because I was so young, but it's like, I think part of it was just like, I thought he was cool looking. And, uh, I think also like there was, it was simplistic enough that I could mm-hmm. sort of grab it as a novice and Scott Moore is the same thing where it's like, it's approachable. And that's the beauty of like sort of uh primal music is that it's approachable. It's not like something that's some Mount Olympus. It's sort of, you know, I guess why some people like, you know, hear punk and get into punk rock or something. It's like, it's something that's attainable. Right. Yeah. And so like the the earliest rock and roll and a lot of that, a lot of the soul stuff is very simplistic. It's very groove oriented. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that you sort of like try and at least wrap your head around. Right. And, um, you know, and that was the earliest stuff that I learned to play was, was Elvis and, you know, Booker T and, um, and, uh, uh, you know, Otis Redding and, you know, my favorite intro of all time, I always thought it was Steve Cropper and I later found out that it wasn't, but the intro to William Bell's, um, got to be your lover. Um, that's still like my favorite intro I don't to know. any song. I don't know that one of all time. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's so good. Go listen to it. Cause it's amazing, but it's actually Booker T Jones playing guitar on it. Oh, and really? you would never know. It sounds like Steve Cropper. Say the name of the song again. JD? It's called I, it's called I Forgot to Be Your Lover, and it's uh, it's by William Bell, and he it's on Stacks and William Bell. Uh, 
uh, he wrote born under a bad sign and he wrote, um, you don't miss your water till the well runs dry and, mm. um, everybody loves a winner and a uh, bunch of other really, really awesome stack stuff. But anyway, so, I mean, that was like the stuff that I learned, um, earliest, but I went through a million other phases like any other person does, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and still am to this day, you know? Yeah. Well, clearly it's, you've, your, your sound is continues to evolve somewhat and, and that's all super cool and it all sounds great. You, you, um, you produced like three albums under, uh, the Simo name, uh, considered, I guess, solo albums, uh, and, uh, or maybe I got that the other way around. Now you've done a couple albums under JD, under the JD Simo name. Um, yeah, because the first three, like we were a band, like we were, it was three of us that were like, you know, like we were, we were a unit and yeah. all that. And, and, and then that band broke up and it was just like, well, I don't want to continue, you know, calling myself by my last name. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, I'll just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. when so, the band, when the band broke up, it was just like, all right, that's, that's enough of that. You know? Right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I love, so Adam Abrashoff, am I pronouncing his name correctly? Yeah. What a yeah. spectacular drummer. And uh wow, I've really enjoyed watching uh Man, watching you, you guys Wow, wow. And you guys jibe so nicely together. I mean, he's just he's there when you're not, he's there with you. He's not, it's just out of control, man. As great it as you are, he is equally as amazing to listen to. It adds, yeah, no, it, I, I don't want to like put you on like this like Oh, I'm, I'm going to gush a little no, bit no, about no. it. He, it's a fucking insane. It's so, it's so cool. The more I listen to it, I'm like, wow, man, he is, he is like the heaviest cat that I've ever known. And it just comes out of him like water, you know, like he doesn't, he, he, you know, like me and Miles Zimmerman who played, who's playing bass with us you know, like we're like record geeks, me and him, like we go to record stores on days off. And like, there's a whole ton of records. We bought this last week in the back of the van here and stuff. <laughs> Adam, Adam, like he, he plays golf. Like we're in Florida right now, enjoying a couple of days off. And it's like, he, he just came back from golfing. Like he golfs incessantly. He loves to play chess and <laughs> he is, he is a, he is a very unique, kind of quirky individual and then you put him behind the drums and he just does this very unique like you know because he has he has like he has a very strong afrobeat like um side tony allen is a gigantic gigantic in influence on him mm -hmm. so there's like a lot of that and Zigaboo from the meters is a gigantic influence. Well, mm, and he yeah. can really play like that. He ha he has this, this jagged way that he plays. Right. And then there's also this ridiculously huge, like he is a, if he had to pick like one type of music to only listen to, it would be like free jazz. Like it would be bitches brew era miles on the corner era miles, uh, Yusef Latif, Ornette Coleman, um, like the outest of out, um, late sixties, early seventies jazz, like pre fusion. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's like, 
you know, you mix all those things together and it just makes for this incredibly unique musician that I am. I, I mean, there isn't a, there isn't a day that goes by that I'm not grateful to get to make music with him because it's, you know, I've been really lucky in my career as a musician, you know, like worked with Steve Jordan and Matt Chamberlain and, and Fred Altringham and, um, uh, Sean Pelton and, um, you know, and I've worked in, in lots of different capacities with, you know, some of my heroes and, um, none of them can do what Adam can do. I mean, he's a complete singular, unique, it's, it's unbelievable what he can do. And it, um, he looks like he's blessed. not even trying, <laughs> which is amazing. You've got, you've got your back to him the whole time, mostly, but he is like back there just churning it out, looking like he's like rowing a boat or something, you know? It's like he that is. Easy. That's the thing. It's, it's like turning a faucet on, you yeah, know? It's amazing. Like he, he, it is. Tell me the story about how yeah. you guys met. I, I read about that. It was super interesting. Uh, well, he had, um, he had a band in Nashville called Funk Wrench, mm-hmm. which, um, which I was a huge fan of. Um, it was him and a bass player named Frank Swart and a guitar player named Kenny Vaughn, who's a, a very, uh, notable, legendary, uh, Nashville, like session musician. And he's in Marty Stewart's band and, uh, Lucinda Williams and all types of stuff. He's a very good friend. Um, Mm -hmm. and they would get together and do, um, they would do these shows in Nashville and it was all improvised. They play for like two hours and it was straight improvised, like, like bitches brew on the corner era miles. Right. Um, and everybody would go because it was just the coolest thing. And so I was a big fan of their band and, uh, out of the blue, Frank, uh, the bass player, uh, sent me a message and asked if I'd like to play with them. And I said, of course, and so I showed up and we did a gig, me, uh, Frank and Adam. And I was like, God, this is the band I want to be in, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and then, and then we went from there. It was, it was very like, all we did was improvise for a while. And then I started slowly bringing in songs that I'd written and then it sort of morphed into, you know, a real band. Yeah. And then gradually it was like, you know, playing around town, playing around the region, playing, you know, maybe going to Chicago, maybe going to Atlanta, maybe going to, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then eventually it became, you know, where we, we signed with a label and released a, the first album and like went on tour and just didn't stop, uh, literally. And until that band broke up, <laughs> right? Which band was it? <clears throat> are you talking about the original Simo, or is that that even? Yeah. This is even before. Okay, yeah. I read somewhere that you like met Adam and um and for like a practice session, you guys ended up playing for like three hours straight. Is that like something? Well, that like, was that, that was that was the gig. Oh, that, that was, was the that gig. gig. That was an actual gig. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we showed up. We we showed up and um you know, with no set list and no nothing. And we just improvised for, for, yeah, just near nearly three hours. <laughs> and that was the first time we ever played. And it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. Wow. Well, and that, I was like, that kind of amazing, 
that that level of energy is still there. Uh, even these uh, these recordings that you've put out. I haven't seen you tour this latest album right now, but um, yet uh, you're now in Florida. You were kind of in the West Coast, waiting for you to come back to your homeland at some point. But um, man, I saw that pace thing when you guys were in the forest and playing. It was just yeah. spectacular, and it seemed like you guys really oh, loved that you. too. It was like it sounded so great, and you're such a considerate oh, dude. You were like, "Wait, are we bothering people in the neighborhood?" <laughs> well yeah i mean you know that the, was, the overthink that was really the overthink fun. the overthinking part right jd <laughs> exactly. that was a really good performance though that was really fun and and that was one of the first things that we did you know um coming out of lockdown you know so like mm. we had played we hadn't played any of the new songs so it was really fun to to play them, even though it was just for, you know, the, the staff of paste, you know, it was, uh, that was a fun show. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. They, I guess there were a few people around. Um, so yeah, we, you talked about meeting Adam starting up Simo. What was going on before that with you when you, uh, when did you leave Chicago and kind of what did those sort of early days for, for you look like before you connected with your, you know, prior bandmates and different incarnations of, of, of the, of the bands that you've been playing with? Well, um, you know, I, I was one of those, you know, sort of like wonder kids that, you know, uh, still are all over the world in that, you know, I was playing in bars when I was nine and 10 and, um, all that. And, um, I, my family relocated to Phoenix, Arizona when I was a teenager Mm -hmm. because that's where Chicagoans go. And, uh, (laughs) <laughs> and uh um, is it is it <laughs> well i mean it just seems it seems like it seems like new york like people from the northeast go to florida and then like people from like wisconsin illinois and ohio go to arizona you know what i mean i, I guess yeah so, i don't know so it's there's a weird divide there it's like but having the, any rate, the national league teams always go out to arizona for spring training right? exactly. or i don't know if that's true exactly exactly i'm from la Something so i'm going back extent. to southern so, california anyway, at some point uh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't hold that against you, man. The weather's too good not <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so they dragged so you to we, Arizona. So they dragged me to Arizona and screaming because I hated it, you know, because I I loved playing in clubs and yeah, and doing yeah. what I was or and doing what I was doing. Wait, be, be, wait before then, we get to Arizona, hold on, JD. I got to interrupt you because you said you were playing in bars at nine. Okay, you got to talk to me about that a little bit, man. What that look like and how that even happened, dude. <laughs> well, I mean, it, what it, what it happened is I think you know, a lot like I still see today where, you know, one of my parents would take me and I'd go and try and sit in with older musicians Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's a novelty, you know, it's beyond a novelty thing and it whets your appetite and you kind of get into it and you're not really learning anything because you're a kid and you're not really being held to the standards that you need to, to really progress, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, it's, but it, you know, it gets you out and it gets you into it and somewhat starting to understand how it all works. Um, and your parents were cool I, with it. Yeah. Yeah. They were cool with it. And then when I was like 12, 13 is when I started actually like, trying to like be in bands with older musicians and um you know playing on the weekends um you know and that involved you know one of my parents having to be there to 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 look out for me yeah um you know and so by the time 
you know, I'm in high school, you know, I've been gigging for a few years. Right. And, uh, you know, I was a bad, I was a bad boy. You know, I, I dropped out, of, I dropped out of high school to go basically just be on tour full time. And, um, wow. and I was 15. And, um, and so I played in a multitude of different types of bands and all that and toured all over the United States, like complete, like I'd played everywhere by the time I was 20. Wow. And, um, and then, it was right around when I was about 20 that I was like, man, I got to go, I got to move somewhere that, you know, something can happen in. And so I ended up in Nashville because I had a buddy who still is one of my best friends on the planet. And, um, you know, I starved for, for the better part of a year, Mm. but then through a series of, um, through a series of events, you know, ended up, uh, getting into this, really well-known respected club band there uh that called the don kelly band um that um had existed since the late 70s and um the 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 alumni of past guitar players was just insane it was it was you know people like brent mason and kenny vaughn who i've already mentioned and um Guthrie Trap and um, uh, Red Volkart and uh, I've seen and him Troy play Lancaster. in Austin. And, yeah. I saw him at the Continental Club. He's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> he's he amazing. Is. Wow. So, so it was all that, and so I I found myself, you know, in that environment, and I just shedded my ass off because I'd never played country music before, and uh, let alone like bluegrass and all of the heavy lifting stuff that you have to do in that band. Yeah. And, um, and so I, you know, I did the best I could and I was in that band for, uh, for nearly six years. And, um, that it, it did everything for me. It, it, it not only did it make me a, a much better musician, but it opened the doors for me to, uh, start doing a lot of session work and playing on records and stuff that's mm-hmm. that like, like basically by the time, by the time I met Adam Frank and we were doing that, like, I mean, I was, I was working every day. It was, you know, like session work all day and then going to play in the club at night. And, um, you know, I was barely 25. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was, it was heavy duty, man. It was, it was a lot. And, um, but you know, it was, there was a lot that went into, um, my decision to pursue, um, you know, doing original music and going, going out on the road and, and, and doing everything that's led me to, to now. Um, and it's proven to be the right, uh, you know, the, the right thing. Cause in the end, you know, uh, at the time, you know, uh, the majority of the stuff that I was involved in working on music wise was stuff that I really wasn't into. Uh, it was, it was, it was stuff that I was literally there, um, uh, it was all about the money Mm -hmm. and, um, and you know, now, I mean, I do, I work on lots of people's records and work on, you know, uh, in the middle of working on several different movie scores and all this kind of stuff Yeah, as well as doing my own music and, and touring and all this stuff. And it's like, now it's wonderful because literally everything that I work on is stuff that I'm into. Um, and so I'm glad that I, that I did what I did 
when I did it, you know, because, well, just because had I waited, um, you know, I don't think, you know, it's like, you can't, you know, I'm just glad that I did it when I did it, you know, because it was, because it's, I'm, I'm very content and happy in, in, in my life at the moment. And, uh, um, and grateful that everything went as it did. Totally. You know? Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I was going to mention like, um, <clears throat> you were super courageous at that time to just do what you did. First of all, to drop out of high school, go to Nashville, um, end up there playing, doing sessions and playing at night. Uh, that took a lot of perseverance, man. Yeah. But I mean, when you're in the middle of it, you're just doing the next thing that's in front of you. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. But, but now, now to hear you talk, you're saying that maybe, because one of my questions was going to be, uh, how did you make the move into solo work? And you answered that for me. It was asked and answered, uh, because you wanted to do things that you really wanted to do, but you persevered for quite a while playing in different styles and with in, in different milieus, if you will, of things that maybe was not actually your passion. And when you kind of moved forward, uh, having practiced and perfected your own craft, you, you, you found that you were able to get into eventually what you really wanted to do with, is that a kind of a fair characterization yeah absolutely you know and i mean it was it's all on how you do something and so like you know i obviously didn't burn any bridges it just was a thing that i you know i started to become more more and more unavailable um because i was off doing the things that i was doing mm -hmm. and um you know now it's just sort of distilled down where it's it's it's, it's pretty groovy you know, and I'm really grateful now, especially um, because, you know, the amount of experience, you know, those years were very intense, you know, both um, playing in that club band, you know, five, six nights a week. Um, and then all the, you know, hundreds and hundreds of sessions, you know, because it's, you know, that you really, you learn, you know, I learned so much, you know, and yeah. I'm still figuring out things that I learned during that period of time, mm -hmm. you know, it was intense. M mostly you know? when, when you talk about so, learning, do you mean from a technical perspective, from your own, uh, guitaring craft or just from a business standpoint and how to kind of move around and, uh, what, what, what you need to do to, to, to just be you. All the above. Yeah. I mean, what, what kind of stands most out for you the most? Well, most of it is like psychological, like how to, how to, how to get along with people, how to be, you know, in sort of toxic environments and persevere through it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's always a good, to, that's uh, a good, li that's always a good uh, life skill to have. Well, I mean, I'm just saying that it's like, you know, there's so much to anything it doesn't matter like whatever your whatever your vocation is i mean there's so much any of it um with i guess probably like some of the most lasting things that i that i use on a daily basis like one is like how to how to function properly under like high stress or high anxiety mm. like how to not become completely manic when you're in a really heavy situation yeah. um when the pressure is really high because uh, to me i just don't think that there's any other way there's no like easy way like you just have to like 
be put in incredibly stressful, high pressure situations mm. a, a million to a million times for you to just become somewhat desensitized to the point that you just are able to breathe and just be, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so like that, that's something I think about often just because so few things phase me. Um, and it's not because of anything other than I've just done it a lot. Yeah. So I don't have, I don't have this, um, overwhelming sense of anxiety about, I'm more comfortable when I'm making music, like whether it's recording or performing, I'm incredibly comfortable yeah. because I've, I've done it so much, you know? So, um, you know, experience and confidence in your own abilities as well. Uh, certainly plays a part in that. Um, is there one situation where you felt incredibly pressured and came through, uh, that you can share with us? Uh, well, there's a lot of them, man. I mean, I think that, uh, there's, well, one, okay. So, you know, like at Robert's, which is where the Don Kelly band used to play, mm -hmm. um, every night somebody famous would be in there. Okay. Like yeah. it, it would be like one night, Nora Jones and Smokey Hormel would be hanging out. And the next night T-Bone Burnett and Jay Belleros would be hanging out. And then the next night, Dan and Patrick from the black keys would be there hanging out. And then the next night, like the head of Warner brothers, Tom Wally would be there. Um, wow. No pressure. Or Jane, or James Burton and Paul Lyme would be hanging out, having a burger. Um, and so that was like a nightly occurrence uh, because when I was with them, uh, locals and normal, like non-touristy people still went downtown because it hadn't completely like turned into Bourbon Street, which it has now. Yeah. Um, and so like, you know, it was just, on a nightly basis, like you want to, you, you want to do well, you want to impress them, you know, but want to, you don't want to manic. You don't want to overdo it. You don't want to, you want to be music. You want to, you want to be as awesome as you can be. And usually that means to be cool, calm and collected because if you're manic and you're speedy and you're all this stuff, that's just going to turn the real, the real people off. Um, mm. and, and, um, um, and so just, you know, night after night, like just having a process that this really, you know, to me, important person is right there evaluating whether I'm good or not. Um, yeah. and, yeah. um, uh, and so, so that's one example. Another would be, you know, like the first, you know, with sessions, um, I started, you start you start off small it's not like all of a sudden you get called out of the blue to go work on a on a double scale master you know like i spent you know i don't know really i mean it was probably five or six months like going to people's houses and overdumbing stuff on like people's private projects and little projects and so on and so forth and it's like and then i got called to do you know, like some lower level demo work for some of the publishing companies and then start doing more of those and mm -hmm. started doing 
where all of a sudden you're like the regular call for Warner Brothers or or Universal Publishing or whatever. Yeah. And then you do that and then all of it and then you know one of these producers comes down to the club, they've heard about you from you playing on a demo that they liked or something like that. And then they see me play with Don, they go down and grab a burger to check me out. And then, you know, you get your first couple of masters, they check you out. If you do a good job, then you start doing more masters, you know? So like the first, you know, like the first couple of times where I was doing masters were literally you're sitting there with, you know, with Michael Rhodes on bass or Glenn Wharf on bass or Matt Chamberlain on drums or, or Chad Cromwell on drums and, and Brian Sutton is playing acoustic guitar or whatever. Mm. And, um, and you're, and you're at Blackbird studio a and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, and just sort of like, you know, being, being used to the process of recording enough and knowing what is expected of you that you don't just choke under the, circumstance yeah you know that you get in there and you you know what is needed and you try and do a good job and you um and you don't just get caught up in everything that's happening yeah you know what i mean um so that's another example i mean there's a whole bunch of them yeah 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 (laughs) i mean clearly you've learned this craft this part of being a musician um and you've worked with uh, tons of different artists, Jack White, Phil Lesh, Luther Dickinson, uh, Blackberry Smoke. Um, and you mentioned uh, one thing in passing, working on movie soundtracks. And you're working with or have worked with Boz Lerman on a soundtrack for Elvo, Elvis biopic. Uh, yeah, which is comes out next year. Really? What was that like having grown up an Elvis fan? And, uh, and uh, can you talk about that project a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I got called, um, it was about two years ago now, um, where my friend Dave Cobb, who is a, a noted uh, producer mm-hmm. uh, in Nashville, um, I had started working on a lot of stuff for Dave, a lot of records, uh, like Chris Isaac's record and um, a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, and Dave had called me and asked me to be part of uh, the team to work on this Elvis movie for Baz. And, you know, it's been incredible because it's been spaced out over a long period of time because of COVID and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, Tom Hanks is playing Colonel Tom Parker and the cast is amazing. And Baz is incredible. And it's a big budget Warner brothers movie. So it's like the amount of detail and expense has been epic. Um, I've never, I've never been, um, you know, this is, this, this is, you know, technically my first real film that I've been part of and it's just incredible, the scope of it. Mm. And, uh, yeah, from a, from a full circle moment, um, to go back and re-record all of Scotty Moore's stuff and James Burton's stuff. And, um, there's also really awesome scenes like sister Rosetta Thorpe is in some scenes. So like playing sister Rosetta Thorpe and, um, big boy brought up, um, mm. and like muddy waters is in a scene. So like playing muddy and, um, it's been an incredible, uh, 
it's been an incredible project and right up my alley. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's been super, super fun. And I, I can't wait to see, um, you know, how it all comes together, you know, because I, at this point, I only have like the memory of the sessions, you know what I mean? So it's like to see them, to see them juxtaposed with what they're, what they've been working on. Like, I'm, I'm really curious to see how that feels. Yeah, that'll be really cool. Yeah, 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 totally. Cause they just like, you were, what was the kind of the setting that he would, uh, was Boz there when you recorded or the, an AD there or something, or what would they set the stage for you? Uh, so to speak in terms of what was happening or did you just, you guys need to play this song and play and it's going to be this long, et cetera. It's a, it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. Baz was there for, for, for some of it. And, um, and his, his assistant is, uh, uh, has been a huge help on a lot of, I mean, it's been really great to do research with him, mm. um, try, trying to get things as accurate and as perfect as possible. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been, it, it there, there, there's been all different types of scenarios, you know, yeah, like yeah. we, 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 re, re, we like recreated, um, you know, certainly a lot of live performance stuff, mm-hmm. like, you know, like him, like for instance, like him playing on Louisiana Hayride and, um, him doing television appearances and stuff and him, yeah. uh, uh, you know, we, we recreated like some, some actual recording sessions, mm-hmm. you know, with like false starts and false stops and all that kind of stuff, oh, you cool. know, so that they would have, they would have playback for, you know, like Elvis working in studio and stuff, mm-hmm. all types of stuff. And then just straight performance of like, yeah, we need yeah. a good performance of the, you know, so, um, it's been, it's been a, 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 a absolute privilege, you know? Um, and I, it's opened a lot of doors where, you know, now, um, working on other films, um, uh, have presented themselves and it's, 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 it's wonderful because it's something that I always, I always, wanted to do but you know it's it's much like um you know session work or anything like that it's like you know everybody wants to do it but it's like how do you get in and it's like i there there really is no answer you have to be asked you know like well, it you've just been in to, it for so it's, you've been in it for so long and seem this is such an amazing like from my standpoint it's an amazing culmination of so much work that you've done to be able to step into this type of role and especially having been an elbus fan early on Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, it's fun. It's it's fun for me though, because it's like you know the musical variety in my life is is pretty great, you know, because it's like I I get to go out on the road, you know, not of super, but like you know, say a hundred and some shows a year, and do whatever it is I feel like doing that night, and then it's like, you know, to work on these other projects and do, you know, you know, scratch my blues or or roots itch or whatever or you know for example i mean it was like even though i only ended up doing a couple of shows with them like to go back and play almond brothers music with them with that great band yeah i mean you know i mean it was a fucking blast you know it's like to get to to get to go up and to get to go up and play dreams you know and and uh three direct relatives also Well, that, and it's just, and also they really play that. I mean, it's like with that, that band, like that's a special band, you know, like, yeah. I mean, you know, with Ginty on organ and, 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 and Barry Oakley, uh, and Barry Oakley playing bass and, um, uh, and R Scott and John playing drums, you know, I mean, it's just like, 
it, it just it's it's a it's an amazing thing you know and mm. like it was you know i i and it was funny you know because luther was supposed to be on the couple of shows that i was mm-hmm. and he ended up not and he ended up not being available and it was funny though because you know it's like luther and i both always want to play dreams you know like it's always like a fight because like if i had to pick something to play it's like i want to play dreams you know? yeah yeah and so so it was hilarious it was funny because it was like luther not being there it was like okay well i'm taking dreams damn it, you know? <laughs> yeah you guys didn't have to fight over the lead and parts and shit no we didn't have to, we didn't have to, we didn't have to fight over who was going to play so did you dreams. text him like afterwards like fuck you dude i got to play dreams <laughs> <laughs> no no because no because it's cool we're cool like that you know but it's just like it's that that one in particular is just like that's something i never get sick of and yeah. it's just like you know i hadn't played almond brothers music in almost two years oh really you know so it was like so it was like well i mean since since the tour ended in right before covid started so it's like i hadn't been yeah in in an almond brothers state of mind in that long so it's like you know to 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 come back to it and it's like all right man let's freaking play dreams let's go for it you yeah. know like it's so fun well you burned it down you know? man totally oh, thank um, you. That ta- was fun. talking about touring though and um i wanted to come back a little bit to uh playing like the pressure and what you've learned what you learn in sessions and pressure and playing live but i also want to talk about touring and 2016 in particular that really struck me you guys did apparently i may be off by a show or two but 128 domestic dates and then moved to on to europe um and played additional dates and did 215 total dates that year in 2016 that's just that's not more yeah that's that's remarkable (laughs) yeah no i think when it was come down i don't know what the exact date is but it's like if you add in like the promo shows, like, like say going to do paste a pace taping or something like that. If you add all those in, it was like, it was like 250 shows and it was, and we were, we were gone. um, When we got home, the last show of that year was right before Christmas and it was in Helsinki. And like, we were on the plane, coming home from finland like and we basically like we're looking and counting and it was like we have literally not been home like i think it was like 298 days that year that's like it was and and that's really stupid and no one should ever do it well i was gonna i was gonna ask what kind of effect did that have on you have you ever done it since then and what kind of toll did it take on you it broke the band well, no, no. Up. You uh, all right? And, wait, wait. I want to talk about the breaking with the band. I need to mention when I asked that that you dislocated your knee when you got to Paris yeah. and played, and, and still, you sat and down still, for the rest of the performances of Europe, yeah. which which is the tail end of that year. But so, what kind of toll? Yeah. A, a physical toll, uh, mental toll. Well, well, the mental toll. I I still don't think I any of us have completely kind of processed it um <laughs> five years later almost <laughs> well no because it was stupid it's just it's not it's not a smart thing to do it mm, it makes you mm. it makes you insane mm. and uh and it ruins relationships and yeah i mean mm. it's like luckily the three of us 
I mean, obviously, Abishoff and I are still very close and work together all the time. But luckily, us and, and our old compadre are friendly. Like, there's, it's not like we're, you know. But I mean, it it blew the it blew the band apart. I mean, there was just no way that we could coexist any longer, um, and and that was fine because we were we were burnt out. We were we were absolutely overworked, underpaid, and just completely completely ragged. And wow. so, you know, I went off and did um, uh, in the wake of that. Um, you know, I went off and did, uh, some solo tours by myself with my friend, Tommy Emanuel, mm-hmm. which, which really, really, really helped heal me and show me like kind of a path forward because, you know, I always wanted to be in a band. I didn't want to be off by myself and all that kind of stuff, but it's like being off by myself with Tommy and realizing that. Um, you know, I could do whatever I wanted, you know, like there wasn't, you know, it was, it was just a really healing time. And I'm really grateful that Tommy afforded me that opportunity at that moment, you know, cause it was, mm-hmm. I went out with him opening shows for him alone for, for a while. And then, uh, you know, signed a new record deal and started making, making more music. And, you know, I mean, we worked, we worked a lot, um, since then but nothing remotely like that and now especially post pandemic um you know if we're able to finish this next nine shows to finish this tour we'll have played the entire u.s and we're going to take a couple months off and then do you know little trips you know I, at, the, at the moment i'm kind of you know a hundred ish shows a year sounds good to me you know because right. that's about enough where it's well, because the thing is, is that it's like you want to you want to do it because I love doing it, but it's like, but I, you know, you want to enjoy it, you know, yeah. you don't want it to become a drag and it does become a drag, man. Like, you know, after a few weeks, you're like, man, I just want to, I just want to screw off and watch Netflix tonight or something. You know what I mean? Like, there's <laughs> right, just right, no, right. there's no, there's no way, uh, there, there's no way to, to, for that not to happen. How did that happen in 2016? Was it just saying yes to a lot of support or did the stars just kind of line up to play a bunch of shows? You were young, you wanted to do it. We just said yes to everything. And our manager just filled our schedule with mm. every single possible thing that came along. Right, right. And it was, and I mean, like there's a lot of amazing stuff that happened that year. Like there was a lot of amazing stuff. So I don't want to discount that, but it's just like in retrospect though, I mean, that was, it was absolutely not a smart thing to do. I guess sometimes it's it just... ill-advised, but sometimes it happens where you go to the edge and you, so you kind of like, I know I've, I've listened to some comedians that are really funny. Like, you know, I hit bottom. That was a funny joke, but that was a little too much. And now I know, but it's kind of comforting to know where that line is. Maybe I, I don't know. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. To a certain extent. I mean, it's all part of the journey, man. You know, I don't regret any of it, but it's like, but that was, that was absolute insanity. Yeah. You know? But hundreds of shows is not out of the question for you. You're, you're, you're a road dog. You, you get out there. Um, I love, you love I love playing. Play. It's clearly, clearly you love playing on stage. Um, mm-hmm. Some of that stuff that the, when you talked about, uh, being able to perform under pressure when there's people in the crowd, like 
and just from a sessions perspective, having that confidence in your own abilities. Um, how much does that help you in your own live performances with your current band and with the, the way that you're currently playing? Um, well, I think that, you know, now when I get up to play with, you know, like on my tour or whatever, it's like just literally getting up to enjoy myself. Mm. You know, I don't have a, um, um, you know, I, 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 I don't get, I don't go down rabbit holes of, uh, what I feel like I should or shouldn't do or whatever. It's like, man, what do we, what do, what do I feel like doing tonight? Like what, what would be fun? Yeah. Because then that, that ends up making for an enjoyable evening for myself, which then therefore probably will make it for other people. Because I think, um, you know, musicians are really, really psychotic and <laughs> overall, um, you know, they, they, they're, they're the, they're the Kings and Queens of making mountains out of molehills. And, you know, it, it's, you know, there all these, there's all these different ways that people will justify what they think is the right thing to do. And it's like, man, it's just supposed to be fun, you know? So it's like, whatever you got to do to make it fun for yourself, you know? Um, and so that's just what I do. You know, I just, you know, it's like, what do I feel like playing tonight? You know, how do I feel like doing it? You know, if I don't feel like doing certain, certain songs that night, I won't. Because why do it if I'm not in the mood, you know? Right. Um, <clears throat> Was there a time when you felt that you had to do certain things or oh, yeah. sort of being oh, yeah. governed by other forces that you didn't necessarily agree with? And what did that look like? But what you do have control over is the ability to make it as fun for yourself as, as you can make it. Yeah. And so why not do that? You know? Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm at just in my life, you know, just in my journey. Yeah. Um, that's a good place because to I, be. I, yeah. Cause I, it is, I, and I love it. It's really fun. I mean, it's like traveling around with people. I really enjoy being around and I love playing music with and, um, everything's really comfortable. There's no, you know, we don't want for anything. I mean, we're, you know, we're riding around in my van and, and, uh, you know, it's like, we're playing to hundreds of people, not thousands of people. Um, but it's like, we all make decent, you know, we make a decent amount of money and have fun and do what we want to do. It's, it's, um, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're in a good place, man. And speaking of, gra speaking of grateful, tell me a little bit about playing with Phil Lesh and friends and, and, uh, <laughs> and what that's, what, what that was like for you and how did that start? Uh, well, that's Luther. Uh, that's Luther Dickinson's doing. Um, uh -huh. Luther uh, introduced me um, to to Phil and and his and his people, um, and recommended me for the gig, and um, which I'm I'm still amazed that he did. Um, and uh, um, that led to you know them booking me uh, for for some film friends stuff. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to play with them in a while. Mm -hmm. I hope that, uh, I hope that, uh, circumstances present themselves where I can certainly do it again. Cause yeah. I miss it. Cause I miss it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, we did, uh, the core of the group that I performed with Phil was amazing. Cause it was myself and Luther and Cody and Phil and John Medeski 
on uh on on keyboards and mm. uh wow it, it was just uh it was an amazing what group. years were those because um, i'm wondering if you saw them because i did see phil and friends here in chicago was, i think it was late 2018 at thalia hall it was it was we did we did stuff in 2018 and uh-huh. and 29 and 2019 yeah that was um, a great band those were great shows it was it was we, we uh, some of the most fun i've ever had and um and phil was incredible to me it mm. was just such a I, i'm not the world's biggest dead aficionado mm-hmm. um i came into it like actually the exact it turns out it's like exactly the same as lutheran cody where it's like i was a hendrix almond brothers bitches brew miles type of guy yeah who owned who owned europe 72 and working man's and american beauty and oxamox like i had the records that a music head should have in his collection right yeah 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 but like was not but was not like like if i got caught and this is something that luther and i have joked about that it's like the amount of homework that i had to do to be prepared to work with phil was like insane whereas like if i had gotten called to like sub for the almond brothers or something like that it would have been like which part do you need me to play right like, it's I like knew, autopilot you know, you know, <laughs> yeah no yeah, homework like, necessary it's like, am I doing Dwayne's part or Dickie's? You know, like it's, 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 I, I was very well versed in their repertoire, but when right. it came to the dead's repertoire, it was, it was a monumental task, um, going into it. And Phil couldn't have made it easier on, on me. You know, he, he, he was incredibly supportive and, you know, like any times that I had questions about stuff was always very open of, uh, uh, not expecting me to know. Yeah. It was never like, everything. yeah, it was never like, dude, I've been, we've been playing this song for 50 years. Why don't you know it? No, no, no that, that just doesn't seem. No, like, no, no. He, yeah, he, no. <laughs> he was very, he was super, it was, it was incredible, man. And I mean, I said every, every element of playing with him was amazing. I mean, it's like, he, you know, you get taken care of like incredible. He pays you incredible. You eat incredible. You, you know, like, I mean, every element of it is just like, unreal and and then you and then you go up on stage and you literally just you float like you just levitate musically for three hours like i mean it's just it's some of the most like truly magical musical moments i've ever shared just because like phil truly is like plugged into that main line of like whatever it is that they tapped into all those years ago, like he is connected yeah. like all those guys, totally. you know? And that's something that Luther like warned me about in, in like, beforehand. He was like, man, he's like, he's like, he's like, you are going to love like when we jam, man. Cause he's like, there's something he's, and he's right, man. You're like, like there's, there's a, they were special. I mean, it's like the Beatles yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. You know? and, I, like, and you've played with some great bass players, but what was it in particular? Uh, what, what, in particular, what was it like having Phil back there? Was there a different well, feel? Phil, was there uh, something that was unique? Of course, there's something unique oh, about the way Phil plays. But what course. did it? What did it kind of mean to you? And what did it feel like to be playing up in front and having Phil there playing his parts? Man, I mean, well, Phil has this really rubbery, and it's like a very 
it's hilarious. Like his style is hilarious mm. because he does stuff. He does stuff that is like, it makes you laugh because it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> like he does, he does stuff that like any other bass player would be fired. You know what I mean? Like he does stuff, like he, he chops up subdivisions and stuff that in a way that is so like, it's, it's, it's strange, but it's beautiful and it's funny. And it just makes you laugh because you're just like, what the hell was that? And, and it, and it really (laughs) makes for, and it really makes for an incredible thing to play off of because, because he doesn't play linear, you know, like, right. Right. Um, he, he plays in this sort of, uh, um, it's, you know, I don't know. I dare to say like somewhat classical where it's like, he'll punctuate things in really odd places he'll punctuate like like um um like like the beat in a really odd way like instead of instead of instead of instead of instead of things being you know you know because obviously you know what are you playing and you're playing in four you're playing in six you're playing you know some of the stuff is an odd meter you know like the Uh dead have some stuff that's in seven and yeah and five yeah. And and it's all that but it's like but the way that he's stating that is very it's just hilarious. Like uh, I don't know. And they're so bi- there there's just big musical thoughts. I think I read once he said that an entire show for him was just one big thought and he continued it the next day at the next show. Stuff like that. That makes it's sense. Like crazy. Which sounds which sounds almost absurd but then when you listen to him and you really focus on Phil if you go back to old dead recordings it's yeah, yeah, he's out there. I really, really enjoy listening to him. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's funny that it takes you. You had to like, okay, I got. I'm playing with the. I'm playing dead stuff. I got to do a little practicing now. I got to figure stuff out. <laughs> oh man, no, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work, but it yeah, was really yeah. good, man. Because it like it gave me a, an appreciation of the dead that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. Having played that music. Having played that music and truly gotten inside of it, I, I am a bigger Dead fan than I was before. Yeah, it may have helped like, just being like, up on stage with an original band member. That's sort of, yeah, that always helps. Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, yeah. No, but it really, because it, it, it got me it got me to focus on the, the parts the parts of the band that I really like and that I really gravitate towards. And, yeah. and, and um, no, it just really gave me that sort of deep dive that, was necessary to truly make me into a real fan, you know? Um, right. And so I'm grateful for that as well, because that opened up a lot of musical inspiration that car- that still carries on to this day yeah. that I wouldn't have had. So talk to me a little bit about Mind Control, the new album that just came out in November. Um, how was that kind of an expression of where you want to be today compared to like what is, what's, what you've, where you've been building up to this point? Well, I think it was just, it was a really natural collection of songs to put together because just started getting together every week during lockdown mm-hmm. and, and making stuff up. And yeah. so we, we, we would get together a couple times a week and we did that for over a year. So mm. we amassed uh, a ridiculous amount of material and um, the tunes that make up mind control are the ones that we collectively like the most. Mm. And they happen to be, uh, for the most part, 
happen to be these tunes that are sort of a hybrid that sort of have these Afrobeat type of grooves, but then have this sort of like Junior Kimbrough, North Mississippi sort of top to them. Yeah, so it's yeah, like yeah. two different things that we were super into and super influenced by, but like hadn't really sort of merged. And it was just a happy accident and it wasn't planned and it wasn't something that we were that conscious of even. Mm. But like when we, when we started going through the material and going, Oh man, I really dig that tune. I really dig that tune. You know, it was, you started seeing the, um, um, we started, we started seeing that like after the fact, which I guess is really where it's at because then it's natural and it's not, you know, it's better than if you preconceive it. Yeah. Was it, was it kind of a, I mean, it is a follow on to the JD Simo album that would came Mm -hmm. about a year before, but, um, is it kind of a progression from that? Or do you sort of, do you consider those really two super distinct kind of styles? Um, I think that like one, like the self-titled record is definitely like, it's more of a soul album to Mm, me. mm -hmm. Um, um, there's definitely more of that sort of uh, 70s psychedelic soul influence on that record. Yeah. Um, it's also a very polished record. Like that's, that's a, it was a studio, like a very big studio record. There's a lot of um, little, it's a headphone record. Yeah. You know, there's a lot one. of stuff on, there's a lot, thank you. There's a lot of stuff on there that was like highly intentional. Mm. Whereas like Mind Control is a lot raw. Um, there's very little production to mm. it at all. It's, it's very, um, you know, three guys in a room, uh, live vocal, uh, you know, mm. um, it's a raw record. So I What's, think that, it's yeah, a what I mean, record. It's, it's a raw, a raw, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, that, I think that that's, that, that's my take at least anyway, yeah, yeah. between the two. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's definitely one leads to the other. You know, it's like the self-titled record was a very big like, sort of studio production record. So it's like your natural inclination is to sort of like, okay, now it's time to make a raw record. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. So there's some of that. But also, like, I, I can't stress enough that it's like mind control is very much like th- there wasn't a plan to it. It was mm. literally us just making up stuff and playing music to to get through the pandemic and at the end of it it was just like wow there's all this stuff and it's like well let's see what we got here yeah and it was going through it after the fact and being being the type of artist that you are playing blues psychedelic rock getting out in front of audiences what's it been like for you to to be back out there and what's been that what did you miss most about it and what's been the impact for you to get back out there on stage and play for real live human beings I mean, it's been a lot of things. It's been incredibly stressful and a lot of anxiety Uh, Mm -hmm. just because I don't want to get sick. And I certainly don't want other people to get sick and all this stuff. And it it just, it's, it it becomes very difficult. It's like, what is the right thing to do? Um, is is something that's very prevalent in my mind often. Mm. Um, um, so there's that element, um, that's inescapable. And then, the other is, you know, I've gotten used to being home for the first time in my life. So there's a part of me that, in, that doesn't enjoy traveling as much as I used to. Mm. Um, I, I, there's certain aspects of it. I like, you know, I love eating in the different 
locales and the different regional cuisine. That's a fun part of touring. I love going to record shops all over yeah. the country. That's fun. Travel. Um, um, but the actual, you know, the hours of the day that you're just stuck with nothing to do, they become longer and longer the more you do it. And mm. it's, you got to find healthy ways to sort of fill that time. Yeah. Um, and then musically, you know, it's a blast to, to, to play night after night, you invariably develop like things that just don't happen unless you're playing night to night to night, you know? And so, you know, playing with the fellows night after night is, is really, it, it's incredibly rewarding because that can't happen unless you're, you know, hanging out together, smoking cigarettes together, and then you're going in to play a gig and you're, you know, you're playing the tunes that you played two nights ago and you're playing them differently tonight because that's the way you're feeling. And yeah. Things happen that you don't expect. It's that part of it is incredible. And, you know, as far as the people are concerned, it, it, it's it, it, that obviously is is just like it always was. I mean, it's nothing feels better than when people are digging on what you're doing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Then just that cohesiveness with the band playing night after night is something that you can't, uh, you can't replicate that. No, no. Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, it's been great to get to know you, JD. Um, I'm so, uh, Pleasure. thanks so much for being so generous, generous with your time and, uh, you're sitting outside and I can see it getting a little bit darker there in Florida. You probably get closer to when you got to get out there to do whatever you're going to do to you playing tonight. No, no. Tonight's oh, a night oh, off. So okay. All right. Well, we can, oh, then you've got an extra hour to talk to me. We can talk about, Phil. <laughs> we can, we can continue to talk about Phil. I didn't know you had to place, you didn't have somewhere, you don't got someone better to be today. Obviously this is, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. But no, it's, but yeah, no, luckily, uh, luckily we've got a night off, which is wonderful because, uh, we just did six in a row and that's too many. Oh yeah. 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 So, and you have so, a little, uh, I didn't mention, you have, you have the little one at home too. So being, yeah. being, not being on the road for that period of time, uh, must've been great. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's, I, obviously I don't like being away, uh, being away is different now, you know, with, yeah, with, totally. a young, with, totally. with a, with a, with a young one. So it's, it, it's, um, yeah, you know, but like, I mean, as long as that's a good, comes back to the point i was making of just like whatever you can do to make it the most fun mm. you know mm. because of it because of it, if it's fun it's then then everything's fine yeah you know? yeah, yeah so yeah. uh so you know whatever you gotta do to to make it fun i mean if you're gonna be you know? if you're gonna be out there doing what you love you're only gonna be happier when you're back at home not when you're not out there and that's that's just that's, good for, that's just good for everybody yeah no totally yeah 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 man so Cool, JD. Thanks so much for being here, man. It was a total, utter pleasure talking to you. Thanks for sharing so much with you. You got so much, so much amazing stuff going on, man. It's just, uh, it's, it's my, it's my pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. It was a great conversation. I appreciate you having me. Right on, man. Thanks. All right. Well, much love and may the force be with you, my friend. Same to you, brother. Thanks. All right, buddy. See you. Okay, that was J.D. Simo on Road Case. Really love talking to J.D. 
what a good guy. I mean, uh, really patient and thoughtful and um, really engaging in my own curiosity about uh, his blues background and the history of blues and growing up in Chicago, uh, learning about the blues from the, the, the public library, taking out albums at the time, uh, watching Elvis on TV, really getting just steeped in music and steeped in blues. And his parents took him to play at a club when he was nine years old. I mean, that's just, that's, that's amazing stuff. Um, and, uh, I really enjoyed him talking me through, uh, the various ins and outs of, of session work. And he's such an incredibly hardworking musician, but you know, it's really, really what he loves. Um, so admittedly, he kind of went overboard when uh, the, in 2016, they played 250 shows that year. Um, that is just an incredible amount. He said it was stupid and it makes you insane. Uh, and he also broke his leg or suffered some really bad leg injury during that tour as well. I mean, it literally uh, broke the guy both from a physical standpoint and from a kind of an emotional and mental standpoint. He said he's never going to do that again. Now he's got a child at home, uh, very happy to to play, you know, a hundred shows a year or something reasonable. Um, also love talking about Phil Lesh and uh, playing with Phil Lesh and friends and how, uh, you know, his friends and associates and fellow musicians sort of gave him the heads up that, hey, it's going to be trippy being on stage with Phil Lesh playing, kind of channeling all that incredible Grateful Dead energy that has just been percolating for uh, 50-ish years. Um, and he said he really felt that. And it was really, really amazing to kind of be on that stage connecting to what he called the soul of the dead. And I thought that was super interesting. So um, thanks again to everyone for being here. Uh, JD's got his new album out, uh, Mind Control. Uh, really, really extraordinary blues album. So go give that a listen. And thanks to everyone for being here and for your continued support of Roadcase. We got a lot of great episodes and guests coming up in the weeks and months to come. So stay tuned for that. Uh, follow us on the socials at Roadcase Pod on Instagram. Uh, it's a great way to support Roadcase. And I want to send a special thank you to my friend JD Simo for being here on this episode of road case thanks again so much for listening and i'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with road case you can do so in a number of different ways you can Email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at roadcasepod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road.